Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. My name is Ian Fisher and I'm going to be your host for today's show. We've got a really great show lined up for you. We're going to be talking in the finance corner about paying for college in the spring uh, and different strategies that you might use uh, as those bills start to show up. Uh, We're also going to spend some time for you seniors who are getting early decisions back from colleges, unpacking what it means to be deferred in early action, to be accepted in early decision, and how to approach the process from here forward. So if those decisions are starting to trickle in, and I know for some of my students, they already are, uh, you'll want to hear that second segment just to better understand what those decisions mean for the rest of your process. Um, But before we tackle those two categories and conversations, uh, we want to talk a little bit about the juniors today. Now, we are now in December. And being in December, we have shifted a little bit of our focus from seniors who have largely submitted their applications and finalized their essays over to the juniors who are now on the cusp of applying to college in the coming year. Um, So if you're watching this on video, it might look like I'm doing this whole segment by myself. Um, That's because Becky Leikling, who is here, uh, had the clever idea to hide herself on video while I was doing the intro. Um, for those of you who are listening, you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, but I'm going to welcome Becky Leikling, a longtime guest and college coach educator to the show today. Hey, Becky, why don't you say hello so everyone knows you're here? Hi, Ian. It's so great to be here on the radio show with you and to talk to an adult after the last six hours of providing childcare for my three-year-old who is home from a COVID exposure. For oh, like the third time this fall, right? Like, um, yeah, difficult, difficult we stuff. We are ready for holiday break here. I well, am with all these juniors ready to talk about <laughs> That's right. Break. So holiday break is coming up uh, for juniors. And I think um, hopefully they have not been home um, over the course of the last few months, although who knows. Um, but uh, they have a couple of weeks, depending on their school schedule, um, maybe two or three weeks of unscheduled time coming up here where I think you and I would probably agree that the the first goal of this time is to relax, uh, to sleep, to enjoy time with friends and family. Uh, Maybe you're going on a trip. Maybe you're welcoming some people into your home. If you can do that safely, that's great. Um, But I think a lot of students want to get a jump start on the application process. And it feels like now is a natural time to start doing that. Is that right? Uh, Would you tell students, you know what? Don't worry about it. You can tackle this stuff later. Or would you say there are some key things that you could do, especially if you're hungry to do that here in December? Yeah. Yeah. I love the way you framed that. And I am also so glad that you started by saying, we both agree that the first thing to do is take a break because I was brainstorming for, you know, what would I talk about? And I wrote down number one, take a break. Mm -hmm. Your grades will be better next spring. You will be happier next spring. You will sleep more next spring if you take advantage of this winter break to actually rest and recharge. So to me, that is the number one most important thing for college planning is that you are able to start 
next semester on a strong foot because you rested and recharged. So I don't even want to like skip over that to the next section. It's like from a college perspective, take a break this winter break as your life allows. Um, Can we just a second there? Because I think um, uh, we've seen students, I think, going back to school this fall, being in person and just, I think, being surprised by expectations from teachers, the demand of energy that is required from them to be in person now, um, the kind of energy that is required to be in school with a mask on and still have to emote and, you know, connect with peers. Um, So really like taking a break is something I think that is essential here, particularly because of this, this last semester. How does a student avoid feeling like they are missing out on an opportunity to make progress while relaxing, right? How do you get away from that idea of like, <laughs> I, I should just be sleeping here, but, but I, what do, do you have any recommendations for that? I, you are speaking to my soul. I'm sure my <laughs> partner would be glad that you're asking me this question. Cause as soon as our daughter goes to bed, I'm like, okay, we got to do the dishes. We got to do the laundry. And he's like, can we just sit for a moment? Yeah. And I get why that's necessary. Like we're doing this again tomorrow full-time working from home. And so that, that is how I am framing my entire perception of this conversation about juniors over winter break. It is harder to do thought work. We always know how to get a task done. If your parents ask you to unload the dishwasher, you can do it. Even if you're busy, it takes you three minutes, you just get it done. But if you have to have a difficult conversation that takes so much more out of you. Mm -hmm. And so that's why if you have capacity over winter break to be thinking ahead to college, I would suggest starting with the thought work, the stuff that's harder to squeeze in, the stuff that's harder to just get done by staying up another half an hour. And so for me, for juniors planning ahead to the college planning process, I would want to clear your calendars, clear your schedule, go for a walk with someone that you trust and love and talk about what makes you be your best where do you learn best? What do you need to thrive? The big picture questions about you're making this huge change about every aspect of your life in a year. That's not researching the best computer science program. It's like, wow, this is going to be big. What are you going to need to plug into that new space and really maximize it? And so I would start by planning it out. And like, this is even just thinking about like, You know, if you have had a busy day and you realize, oh, we don't have the ingredients for dinner and you go to the grocery store when you're hungry at 5.30 p.m., it's like, ah, what do I need? I'm going to get pasta and sauce and do we have mushrooms? It's like, that's a stressful process versus on Sunday afternoon, if you make a list of things you need for the grocery, you can go check. Do we need more milk? It's, It's easier to shop if you've first made your list carefully of what you actually need. And so to me, that's the challenge of winter break is what do you need in a college? So that when you go onto the market, you start doing your college research, you are searching with intention. Yeah. I like, I like the, the framing of thought work versus task work as well. And I think even the, the process you're describing here has some task work involved in addition to thought work, which is really nice because, you know, when I, when I have to sit down and do some thought work, sometimes it can be hard to get into that mindset, to get into that mode of, of really engaging with big, complicated ideas. And if I have some tasks that I can tackle first, that kind of warms me up. And what's cool about this is you can create a task for yourself of making a schedule. When am I going to have that walk and conversation? Who am I, who am I going to talk to? 
What are some questions that I might want to ask? And just write those things down. Don't challenge yourself too much to think outside the box and be creative there because the creativity is going to happen when you're actually on the walk and you get to have that discussion. I also totally agree with you. And I would say if you have done that thought work of making the list, setting the task, what are the questions you're going to ask? I would actually share that list with the person you're going on a walk with, especially yeah. if it's like, you know, a parent or a trusted adult who knows you. If you surprise mom and dad, why do you think I should go to college? It, like to be financially independent, get out of this house versus yeah. if you say, Hey mom, tomorrow night after dinner, can we go for a walk? I'd love to just like get a sense of what college was in your life or not, what your hopes for me are or not, right? Like then that person will be better able to really meet you in this thought work versus being surprised by the big questions. So this is this is an easy conversation for you and me to have because we talk about college all the time. And I think we've seen so many different iterations of students who have different goals and there we know about the institutions that will help them to meet those different goals. We understand Arizona State versus Reed College or Carleton or whatever it may be, right? A lot of students who are starting this process have only vague notions of what college is, only a you know, superficial idea of what to expect from those four years. What do they need to know in order to be able to have that conversation? How do they get past the, well, I don't know what I want kind of paralysis that I think yeah. postpones a lot of the college research that comes in the, the early part of the year? Um, that's a great question. And I immediately, again, went to two different parts of the answer of a tasky part and a, a, a framework part. Um, right. You're right that teenagers going to college haven't done that before. And other than, you know, TV, movies, books, the, the concept of college is it, it's, it's not real beyond what you, you know, whatever Veronica Mars episode you've watched most recently. Um, <laughs> we're on a great binge over here, but you have lived your life, right? Like you have gone yeah. to school, mm-hmm. you have made friends, you have felt safe or unsafe in your home. You have already been doing life. And so that's why I would say, try to separate it from this huge concept of going to college. And I know it's huge and I'm not trying to minimize that, but like tomorrow, what do you need to wake up and be ready for the day mm-hmm. in class? What do you need to feel smart? You do already know how to answer that question if you give yourself space to think about it. Right. And then the other part from a process perspective is, again, I'm not trying to minimize the importance of the college search and finding the right for college, but I do think it is just another market product. And we have all been shoppers before. Do you think about the last big thing you bought, which for a teenager, maybe, maybe they were able to buy a car. Maybe they bought a prom dress. Maybe they bought something where they spent... They, they had an approach that worked for them. And mm-hmm. when we bought our car, we went to the dealer and we test drove three and we purchased it. Cause I don't, that's, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by choice. I need it to work, but I know that some other people would be looking at consumer report, would be going on the portals, would be doing this, that, or the other thing. That's what I did. Yeah. And you got to do what works for you to feel good about your process. And so I think both recognizing that you are already a savvy liver of your own life And also that you know how to be a savvy consumer, whether it's to purchase a video game or whatever. So figure out how to make this just one more savvy purchase. What are the pieces that you need and how do you like to feel informed about your consumption? 
Yeah, I think that, I think that's right. And I use that same sort of analogy with students. I, I think that it's also worth acknowledging that this is a bigger purchase and that it's more of a commitment than a lot of those others may be. And if you don't like your car, you can always sell it and get a new one. Um, you could transfer from a college, but I think that that's a disruption that students don't really want to engage with, right? And but it so is a, it, yeah, yeah, a very sorry, specific four years of time. No, I, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with the analogy, but I do think that it's worth acknowledging for students, there's a lot of baggage or concern or worry that comes with, am I making the right choice here? Because it feels like it's a really significant kind of decision. Do we need to help students understand something about this process that takes some of the pressure off of that choice? Um, Or is it worth acknowledging that and saying, hey, just do your best and, and see where that takes you. How would you approach that kind of concern that students bring bring forth when they start their research? Um, I think young people have been moving beyond their family home for millennia, right? And that is sure. always huge, always, always huge. And American college has become this thing over the last few generations that in addition to that huge developmental leap is also this weighty social media. Like there's just so much baggage. You said baggage. I love that. And I think I want to acknowledge and celebrate how big it is, what kids are doing. And also just remind them, like, you can do this. You are going to do this and you got to do it in a way that lets you sleep at night. And so if your best friend has a spreadsheet and is spending an hour a day researching colleges and you're like, ah, don't do that. Like that, you don't (laughs) need that to make a good choice for your next step. And like you said, you can always transfer. You can always take a break. You can take a get there's this. You're not signing a contract in blood that now this is your choice and your life is on from here. It's, it's just your next step. And I, again, like I I get that college is a bigger investment and purchase than even a car is, but it's still something that you can do if you figure out how to do it in a way that's not going to break you. And no, then I think you're, yeah. worry how other people are doing it. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, part of, I think the goal is, you know, when you were looking at, at purchasing your new car, right. You found three to choose from, you found a list, right. And you started with the priorities that you had. And I think that with this college search, the goal of your, certainly your winter break exercise, but even the process of developing your college list is not to find the one, but to find a handful that you're ultimately going to apply to. And that's a really, really different kind of goal to consider. Um, I want to I want to ask you because there has not been any mention of major or professional career path within the context of this conversation. And I spoke with a father yesterday who was talking with us at College Coach for the first time. And he said, you know, she doesn't know what she wants to do. And I told him, you know, that I think that's okay. And he just said, that's music to my ears. He was so thrilled to hear that she didn't have to identify um, her major or her career path because she wasn't sure of what she wanted. But I think not all parents have that same kind of reaction to that idea. Not all students are comfortable with the idea of not knowing. How would you talk to students about using this time to identify possible career paths or, or academic majors in college? I'll go back to something you said at the very beginning of like, if you're, if you have the energy for action, and that's what I hear in your question, if someone wants to decide their major right now, I'm with you that you don't have to, but if you want that, if that's going to give you, if you're in this swirling noise around you, if having a focus on a major to career pathway gives you confidence, great, go for it. Yeah. 
I would really embrace the, in the same way I said, you know, college is this nebulous floating thing that we only see in the movies. Careers are also nebulous floating things that we only see in the movies or what parents do. And so I would take that mindset of like learning about it. Um, I would set up an interview, a coffee break with some adults in your broader ecosystem that have a cool job and ask them about their job and ask them, what do you need to be good at this job? What are the skills that help you be good at this job? Yeah. Again, with the focus on thinking, I would veer away from opening up the question of what are the tasks that I need to take to get to that job? And you can ask that question for sure, but I would really step back to start with the, what even is this thing? And I think a great website is mynextmove.org, which has even like a little career inventory to, you know, what are the things that you could be good at? But then it also digs deeply into what is a day in the life of this job? What are the technical skills and the 21st century capacity thought work that one needs to thrive in this role? What are related jobs? What's the growth or decline of that profession? So there's a lot of good information there. Again, from the concept of understanding the market, not committing in blood to your life's work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what I'm hearing from you is over winter break, there are no commitments in blood that need to be made. No blood uh, commitments. <laughs> um, I, I love this idea of, okay, separating things into task work and thought work, taking some time on a walk uh, or over a cup of tea or a cup of coffee to have some conversations with people that you trust about your goals for your educational path and perhaps with other adults about what their career experiences have been, talk with uncles or aunts or family friends who might be passing through uh, over the next couple of weeks. Because our radio show listeners might find these segments weeks ahead of time or might watch this video after winter break has passed, I want to ask you, is there anything that students have to do over winter break that needs to be done? in order for them to be able to tackle this process meaningfully in the coming year? No, nothing whatsoever. Go live your best life. And I know that someone will want a more specific answer. So I will say, do the thought work to identify three driving factors so that when you go to the lot to buy your car, get your college, you know the three things that matter to you. And we skipped that part in my analogy. We did spend conversation as a family talking about a hybrid vehicle, electric vehicle, gas, environmental impact of car. And that led us to then to the lot. So that I think is the, if you've got to do one thing is figure out three things that really matter to you about college. Right. And we talked about how tall we all are and how big our dog is and getting out into camping trips, right? So like different priorities for different people. There's no right answer for everyone. There is a right answer for each person um, in terms of, again, that list and the goals that you're setting for yourself and these drivers. So good. good book. Read a good book. Okay. That is something you have to do is read a good book. Uh, okay, Becky, you come on again for another segment yeah, sometime? So maybe. Okay, great. Maybe. We'll convince you. Uh, that's the end of this segment. We're going to take a break. Come on back. Uh, don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. 
Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel with a replay on Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's edition of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I am joined in this segment by the wonderful Tova Tolman. Hi, Tova. Thanks for waving. This is an audio medium, even though we are on video, you can say hello. Oh, hi, Ian. <laughs> it's great. It's great to have you. Yeah. Thanks for being here for today. Now, I just got an email from one of my students and the subject line is yay with an exclamation point. And it says, I, know what it's about. I got into my first college. Yay! I got into UMass Amherst. Uh, so she is excited. She's and, and, says she still is going on to work on some other applications. Now, I want to talk a little bit about some of these decisions coming back. And it might come as a surprise to our listeners that students are already hearing back from schools in December. Of course, if they're regular listeners, they know all about early action and early decision, but maybe don't know what comes next. So let's start with my student here who has been admitted to a school where she's applied early action. Mm -hmm. What's next for her? Is she done? How does this process unfold from here? She could be done. Uh, if she looks wouldn't deep into, nice? <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> she looked deep into her heart and realized, you know what? UMass Amherst is exactly where I want to go next year. She does the research and she realizes, hold the, hold the phone. I, I don't need to hear from anyone else. I, 
I'm done. And she could withdraw her application to all of the schools, notify UMass Amherst, I accept your offer, yay. And she could be done. Uh, I think a number of students who apply early action uh, aren't ready to make that commitment on what today is December 8th. I'm not sure when this will air. The 16th. And the 16th. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they're probably not quite ready to make that decision just yet. Yeah. Uh, maybe they haven't heard from some of their other schools yet. And they're probably going to jump up and down a few times, which they sure. should sure. celebrate, but then um, take a beat to consider, okay, where, where else am I still hoping to hear from? Um, what maybe do I take off my list? Because maybe I didn't really want to go to that school. But it was just um, like a backup to my backup. And at this point now I'm confident I have a school that I know I really like that I am in at. I don't need to actually apply to that other school. What if students have already submitted applications to schools where they're pretty confident they're not going to get in? Would you go through the step of withdrawing or just allow the student to get that decision and then decline the enrollment opportunity later in the spring? Uh, I think it depends how interested they are in that school in genuine and earnest. Are they what we sometimes talk about as trophy hunting, just kind of wanting to see if I could have gotten in. But when push comes to shove, they aren't really all that interested in attending. Uh, Or if they kind of, again, look into their heart and realize, oh, rejection probably stinks and stings. Certainly, maybe I don't really want to go through that. Certainly, if a student isn't all that interested uh, and they think it's pretty unlikely. I rather save the admission office, our you know colleagues on that side of the desk, the trouble of reviewing their application thoughtfully and carefully if the student isn't all that interested. Yeah. If they've already yeah. hit submit, they've already paid the application fee, uh, and any part of them is going to be left wondering what if. Yeah, certainly there isn't all that much harm in letting the chips uh, play out and see how it how it all does unfold. Yeah, the one the one other key addition to this conversation is, you know, and this came from my student, she mentioned they're offering me $16,000 a year. And that's a pretty good scholarship. But maybe she'd like to negotiate that. Maybe she wants it to be a little bit more because her family needs a little bit more funding in order to make that happen. In that case, it would be very helpful to have additional scholarship offers from other mm-hmm. schools. Absolutely. And so that is one piece of the puzzle that you might keep in mind is, well, maybe this other school I don't like as much, but maybe it's going to be more generous in terms of the scholarship that it offers me. And that makes it a better opportunity at the end of the day. So you could finagle your list a little bit at this point based on some of the information that you're getting about getting into a school. Uh, but I think a lot of students kind of stand pat. You get that first decision, you're in. It's like, all right, great. Let's, let's, I'm ready for more. Bring it on, you know? Yeah. Now, what about the bad news? You don't get in early action. You're denied outright. Um, Now, you can't reapply. That's it for that particular year. A lot of students think, okay, well, I'll just apply in the regular round. And no, it's off. It's it's over. Um, What do students do with respect to the rest of their list at that point in time? Um, How do they think about other schools that they may be choosing to apply to, especially given the narrow window here between December 16th and the end of the calendar year when most of those regular decision deadlines come up. Right. Um, One, I'd say don't panic. Uh, Two, look back at your list. Was it a balanced list? Was this a school you were expecting to get into? Was this a school you had in your sort of safety, no problem category where you were pretty darn confident you were getting in Mm -hmm. and you didn't, Mm -hmm. and now you need to reevaluate your list perhaps? Or was this a school you probably weren't getting into anyway, or was a stretch, or was it could have yeah. gone either way? And I think it's important to look at that uh, disappointing news under that lens and making sure uh, you understand was this a surprise or not? Even if it if it is still a, 
you know, punch in the gut, it isn't necessarily going to impact the rest of your list. Um, I I would, you know, take careful stock of your list, though, if um, it was a school you considered to be a a sure thing. Look at the rest of your list. If, oh, shoot, I don't necessarily have enough balance, now might be a very good time to take these next two weeks, three weeks to find another school or two. Uh, Not to start throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks, but careful selection of maybe another targeted school or two where you are quite confident you will get in and that you'd be uh, excited about attending. Yeah. To put just some institutions as an example here, let's say I'm a Massachusetts kid. Mm-hmm. I know I want to go to school in Massachusetts. I've applied early action to UMass Amherst. I'm going to apply a regular decision to Harvard and MIT uh, coming up in January. Okay. And I don't get in to UMass Amherst early action. Okay. And that's Probably, it. Probably coming is uh, Harvard and MIT. Harvard and MIT. I just want the Massachusetts schools. That's it. Okay. Yeah. That's I'm it. Good. There are no other schools in Massachusetts between that's Harvard, it. MIT, and UMass <laughs> Right. But if those are the only other two I'm looking at, right. that's, that's a bad plan. Right? I'd say that's a terrible plan. But on the flip side, if I mm-hmm. apply early action to MIT and I don't get in, but I'm mm-hmm. applying to UMass Amherst, regular decision, mm-hmm. that outcome at MIT doesn't really say anything about whether I might get in at UMass Amherst or not, because MIT is so selective relative to UMass Amherst. And I gave this uh, advice to a student of mine who's applying early action only to Caltech and MIT. I said, look, you're going to start to hear back from schools. Don't be affected by the potential for bad news here, because these schools really don't admit a lot of kids. It's more likely you don't get in than that you do. Right. But don't let that information affect how you feel about your whole process. And right. he was like, yeah, you're right. I know. These are tough schools. I really want to get in, but I'm not going to let that affect how I feel about the rest of my applications. Absolutely. What about defers? Let's just throw a wrench in this, right? Defers yeah. are like, you know what? We don't know yet. We'll tell yeah. you later. Make Come back and later. see us in the spring, you know? Right. Yeah. What do you do then? Um you listened to them. What do they say in their letter? Are they just not ready to make a decision? Do they need more information? If they need more information, what are they asking for? Do they want updated grades? I will say yes, they do. Absolutely. They want updated grades. Send them when your first semester finishes. Ask your guidance counselor. Uh, Come January, take stock. Are you still super excited about that school? Has your interest perhaps faded a bit? If not, and you are still really interested, let them know. Unless they explicitly say, please do not send us anything. And I'm, I'm looking at you, Michigan. Uh, other than that. Uh, Most other- successful applicants send us only <laughs> what we require. Yeah, Michigan. Yes, Michigan. <laughs> we love you, University of Michigan. Uh, but other schools often say, please let us know of your continued interest. And it would absolutely behoove that student to write a short, thoughtful, concise note about uh, how interested they remain, uh, if they do remain to be their first choice school, say so. Yeah. What other updates do you have since they last? Well, since not just since they last reviewed your application, but since you last applied. Maybe you were eager and on top of your game and you applied in September. And it's now January 15th and you have all kinds of updates for them. Share yeah. that. Get it in by the middle of January, late January at the latest. And then you see, honestly, it really ranges the gamut as to, well, you, you look like you maybe wanted to say something before I jump in as to what could happen. I always want to say something, Tova. Um, this, is new. How, this is new information to me. How should students feel psychologically about a defer? Is it um, closer to an admit or closer to a deny mm, for an early yeah. action applicant? And I, I d- don't say it depends. I know that's <sighs> the answer. 
That is but the answer. When and you are deferred, widely. <laughs> when you are deferred, is yeah. that good news? Uh, Not or bad news. That, okay. All right. Okay. I mean, it, it could, they, if they knew you had no chance, if they knew they did not want you, if they knew you were not properly prepared for their school, if they knew in no world were you getting in, they would have denied you. Flat Except out. for some schools that don't deny anybody in early action. There are a small that. handful of them. A handful. That is a rare exception. Um, right. It exists, but that is not the, the common practice. Traditionally, in most cases, they are deferring you because well, let's just be honest for a second. And, and it's a little cold. And, and this is why it does kind of sting. And it is disappointing. They're telling you, hey, you, you know, you didn't make the first cut, right? right. You know, you, you, you weren't the very, the very top of the applicant pool. But in most circumstances, you look like someone we might have wanted to admit it if we had more room. We're just not sure how competitive the rest of the applicant pool is going to be. We need That's to right. be conservative here. That's so right. let's see who else applies in regular. Let's see what you send us. Maybe we want to see how interested you really are. Maybe in some circumstances, we didn't think you were all that inter- interested, seemed like a slam dunk for you. So we just kind of want to see if you're really, if you care, and then they'll reevaluate. And at some schools, you still have a great shot, maybe a 50% shot. At other schools, maybe less. I yeah. didn't say it depends. No, you didn't. Not literally, but like you kind of did. Uh, <laughs> So I think, I think it's fair to say, and maybe you'll agree with me, maybe you won't. The more selective a school is, the less good news a defer is. I think a lot of students will say, oh, great. I got deferred. I mean, I personally was like, great. I got deferred at Harvard. This is good news. Harvard defers Mm -hmm. almost everyone that applies Mm -hmm. early action. And so usually the most selective schools are not going to have a regular decision pool that is going to be weak relative to the early pool. I will give you that. It's not going to be weak relative to the early pool. That I think is a true statement. But at the schools that I worked at, two of which were were pretty darn selective, Mm -hmm. we weren't deferring anyone we weren't seriously considering and interested in. It was good. There were, you know, exceptions here and there for a student we really just wanted to encourage and say, way to go. But that was the exception. Usually we were deferring you because we really thought you had a shot and wanted to reconsider. Now, hold on. Is that schools that used early decision or schools that use early action? Both. Okay, cool. Now, I want to pivot a little bit to early decision here because I think that the defer for me, I worked at Reed, which had only early decision, not early action while I was there. And so I would agree with you that a deferral there, we wouldn't defer students unless we were considering them. And we always needed to see more information from that Mm -hmm. student because it was still an ED commitment. We still knew that that student was interested in read. Now they weren't committed if we admitted them after a deferral, but we mm-hmm. knew that they had enough interest to have applied right. ED the first time around. Right? Sure. So defers, I feel like are a little bit different in the context of that ED circumstance. Um, they feel like a little bit more of a piece of good news uh, than, than they do in an early action decision. And maybe that's just me pontificating, but. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, that that's a really interesting thing to consider, and I almost want to like get a panel of of former admission officers across our. We have team. a lot of them. We can oh, ask. Yeah, can we yeah. pull our our team and report back to the podcast uh, in you know a couple of weeks what our findings were? Yeah. I I did not see that at this. So I was I worked at Fordham. I worked at Barnard. I worked at Columbia. Um, at at Barnard, early decision we would defer students. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. at Fordham, early action, who they now have early decision. They did not when I worked there. Um, 
we deferred students in early action. I, I think honestly, in the end at Fordham, now it was less dramatically so less selective than Barnard, but we would freely admit students from uh, from an early action round. Mm. And at Barnard, sometimes our hands were tied and we weren't able to admit as many students. Maybe even more students applied come regular than we thought and they were even more competitive. And just because they had applied in early, uh, I don't know that they had such a greater competitive chance compared to an early action uh, deferral. So we don't know how to tell you how to feel here yeah. about these two outcomes. You feel disappointed. It's fine to feel disappointed. I get that. It, it is. It's, it's not an admit, but you're, it wasn't an outright right deny. They would have, at most circumstances, denied you if you had no business applying. And it's, it's quite interesting to see students, how their psychology shifts. And I think it can be a really good thing for them, actually, to be committed to a school for early and then find, okay, I got deferred. They're able to kind of look at the landscape a little bit more broadly, consider the possibilities. And I've seen plenty of students who've been deferred by an ED school who are then admitted later who decide that they would rather go somewhere else that accepted yeah. them because they've they've moved on. And I think that that right. could be a really good thing uh, for yeah. students in some cases. Now, speaking of moving on, if you are yeah. denied early decision, that's it. That's and it. and obviously, this was your top choice because you're applying ED to the school. Uh, any words of wisdom for those students who are getting bad news on the early decision front uh, in the coming weeks? It's okay to be disappointed. You can't be devastated. This is not a measure of your self-worth. They are not. I know it feels like they're denying you, but they aren't. They're denying your application. If they could take everyone they wanted, they'd probably take you too. Uh, I'd say get over it. I, I know that sounds... Get over it. No, I mean, that's, but, yeah. uh, but it is. it is one of those things where it stinks. And then congrats. This is the uh, easy, safe place in your life to start to learn how to handle rejection because it stinks. It does. But it's time to move on then. Uh, Tova, by the way, only says get over it to hypothetical students, not to real authentic students. Never. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Let's finish on a high note and uh, talk about students who are admitted early decision. You got into your first choice school. Jump up and down. You are done done. with this process. What's next for those students? Uh, Please, within 24 hours, withdraw your application from anywhere else you might have applied. Within 24 hours. The clock is ticking. It's like an episode of 24. Yeah, I can hear (laughs) that clock It's disrespectful to not. The other schools are going to be working on your application. If you can spare them from wasting an admit on you, that would be really kind and considerate. They won't hold hard feelings against you. They'll get it. Tell them why. And then let confirm back with your school, sign whatever they ask you to sign, join admitted student groups and uh, get excited. You're done. And, and don't done gloat to process. your friends. Don't gloat to your friends. You know, you can be a little bit smug, but don't gloat. And I, I mean, you're, the friends and the community piece, I think, is kind of an important one here um, just to acknowledge that not every school has early action. Not every student applies early action. Not every student applies early decision. And I have seen students who have been really concerned in this moment in the calendar because they are not hearing back from schools and their friends are. But if you didn't apply early action anywhere or early decision anywhere, you are not supposed to be hearing back. So don't feel like the absence of news is bad news. I I just remember one of my favorite students of all time. She applied only regular decisions. She didn't have any clear commits. She was so concerned in mid-December that she hadn't heard from anywhere. I had to remind her, you didn't apply early. You shouldn't have heard. This wasn't the time for you to hear. By March, she'd gotten in everywhere. So, you know, 
that's not necessarily going to happen for you, but, but don't allow yourself to be uh, nervous by circumstances that are outside your control. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Any other parting words of wisdom? No, that's it. Go talk to someone about finance and making sure you can pay for it all. Maybe, uh, maybe in the next segment. Seems important. Uh, When we come back, we're going to do exactly that. So thank you for the intro. uh, uh, Tove, I appreciate it. Just gunning for your job, Ian. (laughs) Don't go away, everyone. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Class. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel with a replay on Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Getting In, a college coach conversation. I think I say that every single time I come back from a segment. You know, old habits, they die hard. Uh, We have a final segment here with uh, our finance expert of the day, Alex Bickford. Hey, Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me in. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Now, I saw that we were discussing here spring payments. And, you know, me being on the admission side of the ball, uh, you know, it doesn't occur to me that you would pay 
in the spring, you know, thinking about that is sort of like really far off, right? So I always think about like those tuition bills coming due uh, in advance of the fall semester. But of course, there are two semesters and there may be two separate payments that need to be made. Can you just talk a little bit about the payment structure between those two seasons and what families can expect, especially if you're a parent of a freshman this year and you haven't yet touched that spring payment? Yeah. So a couple of things to think about. So I, ideally for most families, uh, when I'm talking to them, if they are fall admits, we're really talking about how to budget for the whole year. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you were a spring admit or if you were uh, a fall admit, but just paid for the fall, right mm-hmm. now, now it's time to figure out what are we going to do uh, for the spring? And so there's a couple of different options. Most spring bills are going to come due really either right before the holidays or right after the new year, uh, early on there. So right when budget crisis typically hits for a lot of families, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. they want their money. Yeah. So one option would be, depending on what your budget looks like, depending on how much is owed for the spring, uh, looking at uh, something like a tuition payment plan. Okay. So a tuition payment plan is spreading the spring, spring semester out over four or five payments this would be through a third-party contractor that the school has cons- has uh, agreed to contract with, usually interest-free, maybe like a thirty or forty-dollar enrollment fee. Uh, mm-hmm. But for instance, if you owed ten thousand dollars for the for the spring and you could afford two thousand dollars a month, you might be able to do that interest-free over the next five months or so. Okay, okay, I think that sounds good. Are there any drawbacks to using a payment plan? Let's say I do have that lump sum in order to be able to pay that spring payment, but I am offered this opportunity to use the payment plan. Is there any reason not to setting aside that potential enrollment fee of 30 or $40? Yeah. So I would certainly look at what the cost of that payment plan is because usually it's just an enrollment fee. Some schools will charge a financing charge. That's rare, but, mm-hmm. but it occasionally does happen. So you want to make sure what the, what the cost of that is. Not a lot of real drawbacks. And in, in, in fact, a lot of families who do have that, as you said, that lump sum payment, and we got it set aside, we're ready to go, will choose just that flexibility to say, well, I only have to pay you know, little chunks at a time. Uh, so why not do that? Yeah, I think that that's, I mean, it sounds really reasonable. Now, when you enroll in a payment plan, is that something that continues all the way through four years and you pay the enrollment fee once? Or is that something where each new bill triggers a new question of whether you want to enroll in that payment plan or not. Yeah. So typically when you're doing it, you're either doing it by the semester or for the year. Okay. So for instance, for a fall admit, uh, I would suggest for families who are kind of going through this process now of getting accepted and looking at the fall of 2022, Yeah. I'd really start looking at, geez, I'm going to enroll as soon as possible, maybe as soon as June of 2022 before my child attends college for the fall. The benefit of that is that you might be able to get a 10-month payment plan Ooh. or 11 or 12-month payment plan, yeah. uh, depending on the school, which will allow you to spread those payments even further. Uh, a lot of folks who might wait until September to sign up, you might only have you know eight months uh, to do it in. So uh, you, you'll just lower that monthly payment the sooner you sign up. As you see my dog in the background. Now, I thought that was great. I just love the, the leap onto the bed. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, let's talk a little bit about, about loans here as well. Um, you know, interest rates are quite low right now. Does, yeah. Is that having any impact on the kinds of loans that families can secure in these circumstances? And does that make it a better option potentially than it would have been, you know, 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, so it, interest rates are low, uh, and there's always the question of how long they're going to remain low. 
And that's what I really like to think about. Well, what is your four-year strategy here, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, do we have cash to use at some point? Do we have to use loans at some point? When are we going to secure those loans? When are we going to start repayment on those loans? So there are, you know, a number of different types of loans that families are using. And really, they come in maybe three or four different sources, looking at uh, federal student loans, which are Mm -hmm. called the direct, either subsidized or unsubsidized loan. Uh, But that amount is limited to what the students can borrow. $5,500 their freshman year, $6,500 their sophomore year, $7,500 their junior and senior year. So a relatively nominal amount. When you're looking at uh, loans in excess of that, you're looking at either private kind of what are called alternative loans, private student loans that uh, typically need a co-signer. So the student or the parent could be the borrower. Uh, if the student's the borrower, would need a parent co-signer. Mm-hmm. Parents may look to borrow what's called a parent plus loan, mm-hmm. uh, which is through the federal government uh, in any amount that they need. Uh, and then more and more often, families are looking towards a, a more secured loan option, like a home equity loan or a home equity line of credit. Talking about the low interest rates, yeah. they have the student loan market to some degree, not the parent plus loan as much. So the parent plus loan tends to be the most expensive loan out there and has some protections built in place for families who need them. So that's important. Uh, but the home equity loan oftentimes is offering really because it's secured, the lowest interest rate structure you can get. Now, there are pros and cons to each one, but as far as the pure, least expensive loan, if you're going to repay it, as you would expect, the home equity loan traditionally is giving you that. Right, right. A lot of people now are, are taking money out of their homes because of those, those low interest rates. Right. But of course, that extends your payments of your mortgage, you know, potentially you know, signing up for another 30 years there. So you've sure. got to be cognizant of, of how that's going to impact the, the payment plans. Absolutely. You're putting your home at risk uh, against, you know, you could borrow in an unsecured way and put your credit at risk, but not your home at risk. Uh, So there's pros and cons to that. Uh, The other big uh, con to a home equity loan is that this is not a loan that you can secure in 30 days, right? Mm -hmm. When you're borrowing this amount of money against your home, you're talking about probably a new closing to some degree. Uh, You're talking about gathering paperwork. You're talking about like a three-month probably process to kind of get this all done. So this is a, hey, let's look at our full four-year plan once again. Let's look at what really makes sense for us. And if we're going to use a home, well, we got to plan ahead for that. We can't be, you know, two weeks out or three weeks out from needing to pay the bill and say, let's go borrow against the house unless we had a loan already opened up. Right. So if your student is starting uh, payments coming due in a couple of weeks uh, to pay for, you know, the, the spring semester, this is not the best approach. But this if you are the parent the- of a senior right now, maybe you want to start having that conversation with a lender um, if it makes sense for you, right? If all right. of the other stars align. Right. That and, and that's, and that's the, the exact piece there, Ian, is that you got to figure out, you know, what are the pros and cons to each one? Because this is not a one size fits all approach, right? This is individual families, individual priorities, individual circumstances, and really identifying what works best for your family. Yeah. I think that that's, that's, that's always great advice is just to remember what your particular program is. Now for those people who are getting loans and it comes in that lump sum, how do you recommend that they think about those payment plans versus lump sum payment options? What's the best choice if I all all of a sudden got the cash that I need, should I go with a payment plan or should I um, so it, depending all, on what type of loan you're securing, that loan's going to go possibly directly to the school. So if you're borrowing gotcha. a 
private student loan or a parent loan or the, the direct federal loan for the student, that money's going straight to the school. Okay. Um, in that lump sum, uh, two weeks after classes start generally is, is the time frame. If you're borrowing from your home and you have that lump sum, then you might want to think about the payment plan. But re- re- one thing to remember is that for families, you also don't have to just do one. So for families that are saying, for instance, in this hypothetical, I owe $10,000 for the spring, yeah. but I can only afford $1,000 a month. Well, you could do a payment plan for half of it, maybe, and then limit your borrowing to half uh, and only have to deal with that smaller monthly payment, uh, limit your borrowing and your debt going into next year, really stretching the amount that you can put in month to month. So it's really kind of this balancing act of, you know, how do I borrow the least amount as possible? The payment plans are just a really great solution for a lot of families. And even if you can't pay the full bill, paying part of it that way and limiting the debt you're going to have going into next year is always a good thing. A great reminder that you don't have to just choose one option and stick with it, that you can really find a combination that works out well for you. Absolutely. Great. Alex, that's why you're the expert. Uh, Thanks for coming on the show and explaining some of this stuff to me. Uh, Really, really interesting. I'm still quite a ways off from my students going to college, but I think it's closer than I would like to admit. So I would uh, say that it goes (laughs) fast. (laughs) Yeah, I believe it. Well, thank you very much for coming on today. Thanks for having me and take care course. Folks, that does it for our show today. I want to thank you all for joining us and being a part of the conversation along with us. Uh, We're going to have Beth back in the hosting seat for next week. Uh, We want to talk, first of all, about how not to let others ruin this process for you. That feels like a wonderful segment uh, that can give some great advice for how to manage all of the expectations associated with applying to and paying for college. We'll also talk about what to do if your student comes home from winter break and it's not quite feeling their college experience. Maybe they want to transfer. Uh, maybe they're looking at other opportunities. What do you do in that circumstance? And then we will talk about the possible end to the CARES Act and how to prepare for that. So lots of great segments lined up for you just on Christmas Eve. Maybe you're decorating the tree and you can listen to getting, getting in a college coach conversation along with a little eggnog and festive cheer. Um, or, you know, you could listen to us on a commute to do your Christmas shopping. It's probably better. Uh, we want to thank you all for, for being here today. Uh, hope you have a wonderful weekend and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.